Hello, and welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in-depth discussion of the films that I love. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. Today's episode is about Lynn Ramsey's Morvern Caller from 2002. I really love this film. I talk about why I love it, why I think it's really a film about grief. It's also about taking us into the inner world of a female character and taking us into her life and almost into her skin in a way. I I feel a very deep connection with this film and I talk about why I feel such a deep connection to it. So I hope that you'll stick around and listen to my full episode. This is one of those films that I feel like it's part of me, and I feel like it haunts me in a lot of ways. Her Head in Films has a Patreon where you can financially support the work that I'm doing on this podcast, and you can provide that support on a monthly basis while also accessing lots of rewards and extras. You can find more information at patreon.com slash herheadinfilms. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash herheadinfilms. I have merchandise. I know you want Her Head in Films merchandise. So check out that link and get more information. At one level, you get a shout out on each episode. So I'd love to give a shout out to my wonderful patrons, Rachel, Tyler, Max, Juan, Iris, Teal, JD, Vanessa, Spunden, Polina, Olivia, Carolyn, Jesse, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, and Lindsay. Thank you all so much for your support. If financial support is not an option for you, and I definitely understand if it isn't, please consider reviewing the podcast on iTunes and or Stitcher. If you write a review on iTunes, I will share it on a future episode of the podcast and I'll leave your name out just to protect your privacy. You can also tell your friends and followers and people on social media about Her Head in Films. That really helps me when y'all go out there on social media and spread the word about what I'm doing. It means a lot to me and it helps the podcast and it helps me reach more people, which I'd really love to do. Or you can just send me an encouraging message or comment or just engage with me in a positive way on social media. Your messages and your comments mean a lot to me, and please don't underestimate the power that they can have. They're really important, and they really help me and keep me going sometimes. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Her Head and Films, and you can see all my social media accounts listed in the show notes of each episode. I don't have a what I've been watching section this week because I've just been so exhausted and busy and I haven't had time lately to really dig into anything and watch anything great in the past week that I can tell you about. So we won't have that segment. We'll go right into Morvern Kyler and why I love this film so much and why it means so much to me. I'm 
recording this episode the day after I rewatched Morvern Caller by Lynn Ramsey, and I want to capture some of my thoughts, my emotions. This was the second time that I had seen it. I first watched it in 2014, four years ago, and I loved it then. You know, I, I thought it was a powerful film. But there's something about watching it for this second time that has really hit me. And all day, um, I've been thinking about the film. And I really can't get it out of my head. And I'm really interested, in general, in how art has this second life inside of us. How um, the film is this kind of object and a book does the same thing it's this object that you engage with that you have an experience with but as you as you move on from it parts of it stay with you and i don't think we're always sure why they stay with us and i'm interested in the experience we have with art in general of how we in our minds enter another world or enter another space because that's what we're really doing when we listen to a song when we read a book when we watch a film even if you go to the theater and watch a play you are suspending your disbelief you are um knowingly entering this experience you know that the world in the film is not real. If you're watching a fiction film, obviously. You know that it's constructed, that it's not real. But it becomes a real place as you interact with it and as you watch it. Um, or as you read it through a book. And there are certain films that I want to like live inside of. And I would say that Morven Caller is that kind of film. It's the light in it. It's the look. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a film quite so distinctive as this one. Like, Lynn Ramsey creates a very specific world and a very specific character. And we feel as though we are inside the skin of Morvern Caller. Ramsey makes her flesh and blood to us and we feel like we are inside her skin and I think this could be partly why the film itself sort of gets under one's skin um gets under my skin so what is Morvern Caller about a brief synopsis before I get really deeply into it is it's about Morvern Caller a young woman who finds her boyfriend dead on the floor where she lives with him. He has slit his wrists and killed himself. And he has left his unpublished novel on the computer for her to find. And he wants her to publish it. He won't not publish it, but send it out to publishers. He leaves her some money um, for her to do a funeral and, and things like that. She doesn't do that. <laughs> Instead, she puts her name on his novel 
and sends it out to publishers. And then she takes the money he left her and she goes on a holiday with her best friend. And that's pretty much the narrative. Um, The book gets accepted by a publisher. She gets offered a large amount of money for it. She works at a supermarket at a grocery store. And so this is really life-changing money for her. Not a lot happens in terms of the plot. That's not what this film is. This is not a thriller. This is not a suspenseful film. This is really a film about a woman who I would argue is grieving, is trying to cope with what she's gone through, with the trauma that she's gone through. She is confronting death probably for the first time in her life and doesn't quite know how to handle it. And this is definitely a film about grief, and I'm going to talk about that aspect of the film in a moment. But the film itself is based on a 1995 novel by Alan Warner, and uh, it's set in Scotland. I don't know if I mentioned that. Morvern Caller is played by Samantha Morton, Samantha just, to me, this is the performance of her career. I have not personally seen her in a lot of films. I've seen her in um, this one. I've seen her in uh, Elizabeth, the Golden Age, where I think she played, uh, I'm not sure who she played. (laughs) Um, I thought she was really powerful in that film. That might have been the first time I ever saw her. Because I saw that film years ago, and I only recently saw Morvan Kalar just about four years ago. So I think she's an underutilized actress. I don't think we see her, at least in the United States, she's not a well known actress. I would not describe her that way. That's not, I'm not putting Samantha down. She's just not. I wouldn't say overly famous. I think she might be more well-known in the United Kingdom or in Britain. But I think she's one of those actresses where once you see her in a role like this, um, and this was in 2002, so she was quite young. Um, She was in her 20s, and um, she really gives a breakout performance, and I think she gives the performance of her career, and that this is like the role of a lifetime in a way, because she is... She carries the entire film through her performance, and she conveys subtle emotions, I think, um, through her acting. This film is really about a woman who is unruly. And many, many episodes ago, I talked about this idea that I've had And it's inspired by the language nowadays about unruly women. And that was sort of started with Roxane Gay in her memoir, um, Hunger. And she has talked about women who are unruly or people who have bodies that are seen as unruly. And she usually writes about it in, in in the context of fatness and weight and things like that. But unruliness comes in all kinds of manifestations. Women who are loud, women who are larger, women who who want things, women who are seen as bitches, right? Women who don't want what society tells them they should want. And um, 
so these are women that really are excessive in some ways that sort of spill outside the bounds of what we think about in terms of femininity, you know, women who subvert um, gender norms, women who are seen as deviant, you know, and not being proper women, I guess you could say. And I just love what I, I love cinema about women like that. I like cinema about women who are unconventional and strange and eccentric and idiosyncratic and messy and complex and unlikable. I, I like that. I was thinking about things recently and I was thinking about myself because I'm a very introspective person as you can tell through the podcast where I talk about myself way too much (laughs) but um I'm an unlikable person I would not call myself likable at all in everyday life when I'm going about my my business and existing in the world I don't smile I don't try to please people I'm not wearing things that are pleasing to men. I'm not interested in being seen as fuckable or as a sexual object to someone else. Um, it's not of interest to me. And there are a lot of thing, lot of things about me that do defy gender norms. And I don't often feel like I am the right kind of woman because I do have opinions and thoughts and I am emotional and it's weird when we think about women like we socialize them to be emotional right but our culture especially here in the United States can't actually handle emotion we can't handle people who feel and who are sensitive even if they are women so you can actually get punished for that I think you are a person who's emotional or feels things so I'm really interested in this idea of a cinema of the unruly woman I will link to that episode that particular episode in the description I haven't done a lot with it I don't know what to do with it you know it's just something that I have thought about and I'm attracted to films about women who are unlikable women who are difficult women you know because I see myself that way I see myself in that way and um so I would put Morvern Caller in that category is that I think this is a film about women who are spilling outside the bounds in a lot of ways women who are not reacting or not doing the things that you would expect And that comes back to what I said about this film being about grief. Morvern does not react to her boyfriend's death the way that you would expect her to. She sees him lying on the floor. You know, his wrists are are bloody. And what she does is that she lays down beside of him. And she seems to be in some kind of shock, really. You know, that she doesn't understand how to process what she is seeing and really what she's doing is she's confronting death like I said possibly for the first time in her life someone that she's lived with someone that she loves and cares about is dead and he's killed himself and she probably doesn't understand why and she probably didn't expect this to happen 
And we have this idea about grief that you react in a particular way, that you break down, that you cry, that you do this or you do that. At the same time, we can't really handle people being emotional and crying and upset. And we sort of censor that in some ways. Um, I don't think we really create space in our culture for a real expression of grief and anguish. But her reaction is so different, you know, and she steals his novel. She puts her name on it and then sends it out to the publishers, takes the money, goes on a vacation with her girlfriend. This is not how we would think of a young woman reacting to the death of her boyfriend. And she actually disposes of his body herself. She never calls the police. She does not hold a funeral for him. She puts his body in the tub and like cuts it up. And then she goes and buries it in the earth somewhere. So this is a very dark film in terms of the subject matter and the things that happen in it. That it's about suicide. It's about death. It's about her disposing of her dead boyfriend's body. It's it's unsettling and that is a big part of the film where you're never really sure like why Morvern is doing these things. And one of the another thing that she does after he dies is that she goes out partying. You know, she goes out partying uh with her friend and um her friend is named Lana, yeah. She gets dressed, she um, does her nails, she puts nice clothes on, and she goes to a party. And then, of course, she goes on the vacation, and when she's on vacation, she meets a guy whose mother has just died, and the two of them end up having sex um, together it's like a very intense scene and so she is not grieving in the way that we would imagine someone should grieve but at the same time I find her reaction to his death completely believable and completely real because what she's really doing is she's trying to escape it that's what she's doing she cannot handle it can any of us handle it when someone dies, when we confront death, when we confront our own mortality? And what she does is that she flees from the gravity of that, the the darkness and the the frightening nature of it. And she flees into frivolity. She loses herself in parties and other men and in the world you know she decides to travel to get out of Scotland and everything she does to me seems like an attempt to escape what she has seen and what she has witnessed the horror of it that she cannot face it she cannot accept it and so she must flee from it I would say that's absolutely believable, that grief comes in so many different manifestations, 
and that some people they cry and they shriek and they do all of that and then some people literally just cannot comprehend it they can't process it their bodies and their minds will not allow them and so Morvern runs away from it she wants to escape it because she can't she can't deal with what she's seen now why she puts her name on his novel i don't know perhaps she thinks well he's dead anyways so he's not going to get any kind of benefit out of the book being published perhaps she sees a chance to make money or to in you know make her life a little bit better because she is working at a grocery store and maybe it's a little act of revenge you know, when someone commits suicide, sometimes the initial reaction is anger at that person. Of why have you done this? Why have you killed yourself? Why have you left me and abandoned me? And I wonder if that's her act of um, revenge or resistance or defiance to say, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. You left this note for me and gave me these instructions but I'm going to do what I want to do. And so she puts her name on it. But at every turn, she is an unconventional person. She is an unruly person. And that's an important part of this film that her and Lana, especially together, they are, you know, outrageous at, at times. And they go to parties and they take their clothes off. And um, there's something very... um sublime about them in that way that they are carefree and there is a freedom and a liberation about them and I think Morvern wants to I think she wants to feel alive that's the sense that I got when when she's doing these things when she's doing the parties or having sex with the guy or she's wanting she's affirming her life She's affirming that she is alive instead of dead, the way her boyfriend is. And yet she obviously understands the fragility of life, the precariousness of life, how easily it can be lost, how easily it can be thrown away. But there's also something very aimless about her, that she doesn't have a career. You know, she doesn't have children. She doesn't seem to have much of a family. She is sort of drifting you know, she is, there's, she doesn't seem to have a particular goal or anything in life. Nothing that she's working towards. She just sort of exists. But I think she craves sensation and experience. And that is a really powerful part of this film for me, is how sensuous it is and how sensual it is. And the way that Lynn Ramsey locates us within Morvern's reality within her world and in her bodily reality you know this is a film about details there is an intimacy about the film a sensuousness about it and it just comes in different moments the way Lynn Ramsey shot this film I, I don't know how she did it Honestly, if I was a filmmaker, and I'm not, I have no um, desire to be a filmmaker. I have no ambitions to be a filmmaker. I'm just here to appreciate films. But um, if I made a film, this is the kind of film I would make. It would be about a woman who's unruly, and it would be sensual, 
and sensuous. And I would say there's almost an eroticism about it. I can't quite explain it. I wouldn't say there's a lot of sex in the film, but it's an eroticism in terms of the sensuality of it and how the senses are are centralized in the film. And it comes, like I said, in small moments. It's, it's Morven painting her nails red. That's a big motif throughout the film is Morven painting her nails. And you see her doing that and she holds her hand up. Hands recur throughout the film sometimes. We, we see Morven's hands. She's touching, when she lays down beside her, beside her boyfriend's body, she touches his back. When she's doing her nails, she holds her hands up. So that's a recurring image in the film. Um, we see her in the bathtub at one point, And that's another sort of sensuous experience where she's just laying there in the tub. And Samantha Morton, her performance, as I said, this is the performance of her career, I think, because she is she is how we enter Morvern's skin and enter Morvern's Morvern's reality through her performance and the way she embodies this woman and brings her to life. And um, there's something about Samantha Morton's face, especially when she's in the tub, and her eyes. She has these, her eyes are very different, Samantha Morton. I don't know how to explain them, but they're very expressive and a little bit haywire. And there's something kind of wild about them. Sometimes in the film, she'll just sort of have this blank stare and then other times she'll have this sort of mischievous sort of look in her eye but when you see her in the tub you know she's naked she's stripped she's raw and you just feel the reality of her you you almost feel the shock that she's in because this is shortly after she's discovered his body and she just looks sort of numb in a way she looks and then she sort of um you know submerges her body in the water and you can tell that she's just sort of lost and, and she doesn't really know what to do. There's this scene where he gives her a mixtape. And I'm going to talk about the music um, a little later on. But I think the Christmas present, because this happens around Christmas um, when he kills himself. And it's very eerie and strange because his body is laying on the floor and... The Christmas tree is up and the lights are blinking on and off. And the colors in this film are just... This film has a mood and an atmosphere about it. And it was made in 2002, released in 2002. But it is set in the 90s. I consider it set in the 90s. The fashion indicates that it's in the 90s. There's this scene where where her and... Well, is Lana with her? I don't think Lana's with her at this point. Uh, but um, she's in this vehicle. She might be in Spain. And th- there's a girl in there. And she has these butterfly clips in her hair. And butterfly clips were all the rage in the 90s. So there's a lot of like fashion indications that we are in the 90s. Although the music, some of the music is from 2000. 
there's a song by Broadcast in particular that is from 2000. But for me, I I locate this film in the 90s and it and it feels that way. And the colors of it are just I don't have I don't have a word for it. Like how do you describe color? I don't know. There's a glow about these colors. There's a richness. There's a depth. But there's also a darkness about them too. Because there's a darkness about the film. This is not a really bright film. A lot of the scenes take place in sort of interiors that don't have a lot of light to them. Like there's just the Christmas tree. Or there's the glow of the computer. Or it's nighttime. Like when Morvern um, goes to to the different clubs and dances and stuff. And, And within those clubs, they're very dark. And so the lighting is is dark at times, but there's this richness to it too. Like, I don't know, like of any film I've seen, this one in particular has such a strong 90s feel. Like it it captured the, the feeling and the mood of the 1990s in a way that I don't think a lot of films do, even films made in the 1990s. But he gives her a mixtape, and there's this wonderful scene, and I really love it. And this is another scene where we get inside Morvern's reality, you know, and and there's this intimacy, because there's a lot of close-ups in this film, too. Often, there's a lot of close-ups on Morvern's face, on Samantha Morton's face. I love the scene where she's listening to the mixtape that he left her, and um, and it's an actual cassette tape, and she has like a Walkman-type thing with the headphones, and she's just sitting there. She's smoking a cigarette. She's got her feet up on the table, and she's just listening to this music and bobbing her head, and you can tell that she's feeling it, and throughout the film, she will have that Walkman with her, and she will have the music on, and the music is absolutely central to this film, and the film itself introduced me to music that I had not heard before, like broadcast, like the Boards of Canada, different bands like that, that I had never personally heard. The music is another way that we see how Morvern is like really within her mind and really within herself throughout the film. And it also creates this intimacy, too. But she loves listening to that music. And I love in that scene when she's listening to it by herself. And she's smoking the cigarette. And I don't know, I just love scenes like that. They just feel so real. Of Like this woman just listening to music. And she's just feeling it. And she is by herself and she's not self-conscious and she's got her hair back in a ponytail and I love how when we got a close-up of Samantha Morton's legs you could kind of see hair on them and I was like yes like this felt like a film made by a woman this felt like this this film did not have the male gaze to it Samantha Morton was not objectified or sexualized in this film at all is she naked at times yes is she engaged in sex at times yes Yes. Is there an eroticism to it and a sensuality to it? Absolutely. But it's not exploitative. It's not objectifying in any way. And it feels like a film that a woman has made about another woman. It feels authentic in that way of a representation of a woman that is complex and complicated and not exploitative and is not sexualizing the subject of the film, which can tend to happen when we have male directors um, who tend to do that. 
And they just do, you know. They may not always mean to, but they do. And this film doesn't feel that way to me at all. It feels respectful of Morvern. So I, I love that scene of her listening to the music and and doing that. And it just furthers the intimacy, I think. And you just feel like you know Morvern. Like, like she just feels like so real to you throughout the film and, and and that's something that i love about it where you feel like you're really inside the skin of this woman and and um feeling what she's feeling which is i think that sense of being lost that sense of not knowing what to do that sense of wanting to escape this trauma wanting to escape what she has seen not being able to deal with the loss itself because I, I think it's just probably too painful. But at the same time, I don't want to, you know, make her out to be some kind of victim or she's not that kind of character. She's a very strong character. She seems to have a sense of herself and a sense of what she wants to do. There's something a bit dangerous about her. There's something a bit off about her in the way that she takes credit for the novel and what she does in terms of all that, the way she cuts him up and bears him. So this is a character who, dangerous in a way, who is different, who you don't totally know what to make of her. And that's okay. Sometimes we have characters in films or books or whatever where we don't exactly know what to make of them and every decision they make doesn't necessarily make sense. And I think there's something about that in Morvern, you know, that we don't quite know what to make of her because she is so unruly. She is so outrageous at times, cutting up her boyfriend, stealing his novel. When she goes on vacation with Lana, you know, she takes the money that her boyfriend left that was supposed to be for his funeral and they go on vacation and she just abandons Lana. <laughs> like the two of them sort of get lost on this road and they go to sleep and then the next morning Morvern just leaves her. We don't know how Lana's gonna get back to Scotland or anything like that. We have no idea really. So she's really outrageous in a way but there's something about that that's really amazing I think to see a woman like that but she also really values her friendship with Lana and that was a really special part of the film too is that this film is not about romance. This film is not about men. It's not about that. It's really more about Morvern and Lana, and it's about her friendship with Lana and um, them spending time together and their antics. And, you know, I think it sort of probably, if you're a woman, reminds you of, you know, crazy times you might have had with your best friend, your best female friend, and the things that you might have done when you were younger, especially. And there's that youthfulness and that carefree quality about their friendship. It's sort of immature in a way, too. You know, they like get in the bathtub together like they're five years old. You can tell that they're really young and, and sort of immature and, and naive in a lot of ways. Um, but it's endearing and I think it's it's really relatable that a lot of women have those kinds of friendships where when you when you're with your best girlfriend or whatever that you both get silly and you both talk about stupid things and you do stupid things and <laughs> And um, you just want to have fun and, and 
and feel alive in some way. And that's a really beautiful part of the film, I think, is that friendship. Although it has its rocky moments, um, for sure. Like Morvern just sort of abandoning her in, in the in the desert in a lot of ways. I mean, Lana ends up being okay. But at the time, you're like, oh my gosh, why are you just leaving your, your friend, you know? And um, it's sort of an outrageous moment. But it's, I think it is in keeping with this character of Morvern that, um, you know, she's not always necessarily a likable person or a great person. You know, she, she does things that are not the best thing that you should do, (laughs) but she does them anyways. And that is sort of the character that she is. But the music is really important. I just wanted to touch on it for a moment. The soundtrack is amazing. I actually, um, after I watched the film, I made a Spotify playlist for myself so that I could listen to the different songs. You've got the Velvet Underground, you've got Can, you got Boards of Canada, Aphex Twin, Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood. Oh, Some Velvet Morning. That's such a great song. Um, my personal favorites from the soundtrack are the Boards of Canada, Everything You Do is a Balloon, and Broadcast's song, You Can Fall. When I hear those songs, I'm just transported, but especially the boards, especially Boards of Canada, Everything You Do is a Balloon, I still listen to that song, and it's incredibly magical, and it's one of those songs that it's so unique sounding. And I don't think I had ever heard anything like it. And and the music in this film, the, the film itself creates a mood and an atmosphere. And the music brings a certain mood and atmosphere as well. Like, this is, this is music that has a, a special sound about it. And I think when you hear the music for the first time, you don't really forget it. And that's how I feel about everything you do as a balloon. Like, that song just absolutely stays with me and I like the I like the song by broadcast too you can fall and of course some velvet morning that is a really amazing song it has an extraordinary soundtrack and I think when people talk about this film they tend to talk about the soundtrack and the music is actually really crucial to the telling of the story music isn't always that way in a film a lot of films the music is in the background, but the mu- but music is in, is always important in a film. Usually, some directors don't like to have composed music; they like to just use natural sound that is in the film. And then other directors do like to have that. They do like to have um, special music and a score created for the film. Or like with Morvern Caller, they they go and choose songs that already exist to create the soundtrack and that's obviously what this film has done and it wouldn't be the same film without the music because from the beginning it's so central because he makes her the mixtape so these are songs that he has chosen for her and throughout the film she is listening to the songs and experiencing the songs and often we can tell what she thinks of them through her reaction to them And there's something very intimate about it that this is really his final gift to her, her, his final offering. Perhaps he created that mixtape as a way to help her through the death, you know, to help her through the grief. In his letter to her on the computer, he says, be brave. He wants her, obviously, to keep going and to go on living and to be brave. And perhaps the music is a part of that. 
it's a way for him to communicate with her, even though he is gone. And she takes that Walkman everywhere she goes, whether she goes to a club or whether she goes on vacation, it's in her suitcase. She listens to that mixtape constantly. It becomes part of her in a lot of ways. Morvern as a as a character cannot be separated from this music. It it literally it's it's the soundtrack of the film, but it literally becomes the soundtrack of her life, especially after she loses him. And perhaps it does help her deal with her grief. What's interesting about this film is that it really denies us any kind of emotional catharsis. We never really see Morvern break down. We don't see her cry. We don't get any of that that you would expect because some films you know they can have that distance and they can they can be withdrawn in a way or show a character who's withdrawn but usually there will be some kind of catharsis some kind of emotional release you know where the valve is opened and something comes out we don't get that with Morvern we don't fully we don't fully understand her ever in this film she is like all of us unknowable and not every decision she makes has a point to it or has a deeper meaning. I think in a lot of ways she is trying to escape death and her confrontation with death. I don't know if she is grieving. I don't know. What is grief? What does it mean to grieve? How do we know we're grieving? I I don't know if these are things that we can define necessarily or quantify. I guess there's just living and surviving and and doing the best that you can. But I would say maybe to an extent she could be in shock somewhat. You know, that that can definitely happen after you lose somebody that you just go into the shock. Maybe that's what's happened to her too. But I think she really wants to live. And I think she wants to escape her life. And um, his selling the book is a way for her to do that. Because they offer her £100,000 for the novel. So it was obviously very well written. Um, <laughs> and she's amazed at that figure and at that number. She, You can tell she didn't expect that at all. She sees it as an opportunity to escape. She can take that £100,000 and maybe create a new life somewhere else. And that might be what she is going to do. I don't know if there's ever this sense that she is really grieving or she never has any kind of emotional breakdown or any kind of emotional release. Or I have the sense that she's the kind of person where all the emotion is is an interior, is really inside her. That there's so much in there and there's so much going on within her head um, that it doesn't always show up on the outside or in the external world. I think this film is really about the inner life of Morvern. You do feel this connection to her. You feel this intimacy. You feel like you have entered her world in some way, her reality, but she's still at a distance. We still don't fully understand her and we're not supposed to. You know, she still remains very unknowable. She's just that kind of character where you'll never fully understand her or comprehend her or be able to pin her down. But she's such a compelling character and an unforgettable character. And I related to her a lot. You know, that sense of wanting to escape mortality and death and loss, just wanting to lose herself, wanting to feel alive, wanting to do things that make her feel alive. That's such an important part of the film. The sensuousness of it, the sensuality, I think. It's a gutsy film. I think Morvern is a gutsy person. She 
does what she wants to do, puts her name on that novel. You know, she has sex with who she wants to have sex with. She owns her life. She owns her body. She wants to go on vacation. She goes on vacation and she just goes. She's active. She's assertive. She's, I think she is brave and ferocious and she's really the opposite of me. You know, when I've gone through grief, when I've lost people, like I've talked about on the podcast a lot, I talk about grief all the time, too much, (laughs) really too much. I withered, you know, I was shattered, I was broken. I struggled to cope and I still struggle to cope with, with grief and with the things that I've lost and the people that I've lost. And Morvern is so different from me. You know, she, it's almost like she starts to take control of her life and she's not going to let his suicide or his death hold her back or keep her from doing what she wants to do. It sort of is a catalyst for her to really reinvent herself and to change her life and, you know, to steal his novel and get the money for it and and to really create her life in a new way almost. She goes to clubs and she travels and she's just someone who, she isn't afraid of anything. She seems very fearless and very, um just strong and strong-willed in particular and I really love that about her too that she is this she's a powerful character and the way that Samantha plays her is very powerful watching this film for the second time I just thought it was even better I loved it the first time but I loved it even more the second time and I'm still listening to the music and I'm still thinking about it and the different colors like the reds and the blues and and um the way the light is in the film and there's like a dreamy quality to it. I sort of am obsessed with the 1990s. I was born in 1989. I guess I'm technically an 80s baby or something but really the 90s is what I connect to. I mean, I guess you'd argue that I came of age in the early 2000s. I still connect more to the 1990s than I do to the 2000s. Even though I was, you know, in the single digits in terms of my age, I just have very strong memories, very strong experiences from that decade that I feel really connected to. And I like to watch movies from the 1990s and television shows from the 90s, like My So-Called Life, which is one of my favorites. And I grew up on all those shows like Boy Meets World and um, Family Matters and uh, all those shows. And I love music from the 1990s. My all-time favorite singer is Tori Amos. And Tori Amos's peak was in the 1990s. And she did some amazing work in that decade. And I love all of the women from the 90s, whether it's Sarah McLaughlin or Paula Cole or Bjork or Fiona Apple, you know, Tori Amos, obviously, or Jewel, you know, Alanis Morissette. Those are some of my favorite musicians. And um, I also love rock from the 1990s, like the Gin Blossoms and, and Nirvana and all of that. All of the kind of different rock that was in that era, like Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. I love the richness of the music. I love the fashion. Women's fashion in the 1990s was the best, I think. Butterfly clips and chokers and dark lipstick and... Oh, I love it. And we have amazing, wonderful fashion in Morvern Caller. It really captures the 
that beautiful fashion that women had in the 1990s, sort of that grunge sort of feel to some of the fashion, which I also really like. Obviously, I just love the world that this film creates. I think I could just stay in it forever. And I've just been thinking about it ever since I watched it. And I think my admiration for the film has really grown a lot, a lot more since the first viewing with this second viewing. It's just like intensified my love for the film because this really is about a woman who is, I think, trying to escape death and trying to escape what she has experienced and what she has had to confront through her boyfriend's suicide and she's trying to do things I think that make her feel alive and she is connected to her body and connected to what it feels like you just feel what she feels in a way as she's smoking that cigarette and you can you can feel that almost or when she's soaking in the tub and you can just feel that You know, there's an emotion to it, even though she's not necessarily an emotional person and she never cries in the film. You feel very connected to her and very connected to her emotions and the way that she navigates the world and what she feels. And um, obviously that's the genius of Samantha Morton in this film is the way that she conveys Morvern's inner life and her inner reality and her inner emotions through her body, her face, her eyes, the way she listens to music, the way she submerges herself in a tub, the way she sucks on a cigarette, the way she kisses a man, you know, the way she laughs with her best friend. It's just this gorgeous film about a woman's life and a woman's inner world and inner reality, I think, and her attempt to flee from and escape the horror that she has witnessed and to reaffirm her connection to life and to feel alive again and to really soak life into her body. And I love these scenes when she's just looking out the window or she like puts her head um, at the window so that she can feel the wind on her face. And there's just all these little moments throughout the film where she is sort of basking in life and and basking in in sensation. It's such an extraordinary performance. She's just so real to me, this character. Like, I know she's not real, but she feels that way to me. You know, she's just so beautiful. Like, Samantha Morton is gorgeous in this film. There's no denying it. And she's just captivating and riveting to watch on screen, even when she's not even doing that much. She's just, there's that intimacy, but there's a distance too. It's like you can never fully know someone. And of course, you can never fully know a character. So Morvern, she's close and you can feel, you seem to feel her emotions in that inner world, but she's also very distant from you because you don't fully understand some of the stuff that she does or why she does it. We don't know anything about her backstory. We don't know anything about her life or what has happened to her. We only know her now. You know, we only know her as she exists after she has found her boyfriend dead on the floor from suicide. And that is the Morvern that we see. We don't know what came before it, but she does seem like a person who is kind of lost, person who is kind of drifting through life and can't really find her way or can't really find her place in the world. And that's another thing that I really relate to about her. I relate to so many things about Morvern, even as she is so different from me in the way that she is 
very powerful and and daring and unapologetic and fearless and strong. You know, I see her that way. But she's also, I think, profoundly affected by what has happened and what she's seen and the loss that she has suffered. And she doesn't grieve in the way that we would expect or that we would perhaps want someone to react She really is deviant in that way. She really deviates from those expectations and she, um, she lives her life in a different way and she chooses to grieve or to cope with loss in a different way. But really she's coping with it the only way that she knows how. And I actually think she's coping with it in a very human way and a very relatable way in trying to lose herself, whether it's in these clubs, whether it's sex with a man or going to parties and, you know, doing crazy things with Lana. She's very human in that way where she's just trying to lose herself. She's just trying to escape into something else so that she doesn't have to think about what has happened or think about what she's lost. And there's just something really heartbreaking about that, but so human and relatable. This really is about a woman struggling to cope with that and or just coping with it in the in the way that she wants to, in the way that she chooses to cope with it, even though it may not make a lot of sense to the viewer, you know, or the viewer may question why she's doing things like that. I think most people would have called the police, you know, if they found their boyfriend dead on the floor of a suicide but we don't know what she's gone through before this point that makes her make the decisions that that she does um and why she didn't call the police and why she chose to do certain things that she does so that's the mystery of the film she is a mystery in a lot of ways even as she feels so real even as you feel like you're under her skin or inside her skin to some extent she still remains a mystery like all of us are a mystery you know all of us are so different and individual and we react to things differently and cope differently and so she's flawed and complex and human and mysterious and incomprehensible and out you know she's all those things so this is one of the most extraordinary films about a woman I think about a multi-layered multi-dimensional complex contradictory woman it's just extraordinary in that way it really is this is just one of those films that like you will never forget you know it just it gets under your skin and it becomes part of you and that's how I feel Like, I feel like Morvern is, like, part of me in a lot of ways. And, like, I can't let her go. I don't want to let her go because she's just so, so important to me, I think. I think she really is. And I think I'll be thinking about this film for days and weeks and years. And I think there are parts of it that will definitely just always stay with me. Well, I will stop here. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.